Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the first Talking Pharmacy podcast of 2021. I'm Richard Thomas, the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. It's been a busy old start to the year with a lot of attention focusing on the use of community pharmacies or not as part of the national COVID vaccination effort. So joining me on the pod this week to talk about this are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. So, Rob, uh, let's go to you first. Happy New Year, by the way. We're embarking on the biggest vaccination programme in the history of the NHS, aren't we? And we're we're right up against the clock with the the virus spiralling out of control. Pharmacy has to be involved in the vaccination effort, doesn't it? What's going on? Uh, I think I wish we knew, Richard. And Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to everybody listening. Uh, Yeah, it's been a busy old start, hasn't it? Yes. Um, uh, Numbers spiralling out of control and then this very, very confusing picture, I guess, most of yesterday. Uh, so let's just do very briefly what the what the government's intending to do. Uh, as we know, biggest vaccination program in NHS history, and the target is to vaccinate 13 million people in the top four priority groups by the middle of February. Um, now, what do we know so far? 700 local vaccination sites, um, 180 GP-led sites, hundreds of hospital sites, and uh, where we were yesterday was a pilot scheme involving local pharmacies opening this week. Um, so, uh, a lot of fuss yesterday, uh, in the, in the, in the media, Daily Telegraph or the Telegraph particularly, uh, Simon Dukes there, uh, saying that the NHS had failed to plan ahead and was, wasn't really engaging with the sector's offer of help. Uh, RPS also weighed in. I think, uh, Robbie Turner was on the airwaves, uh, pressing the case. Sandra Gidley was involved as well. And that seemed to then prompt some response, both in the Commons, uh, where uh, the Prime Minister insisted pharmacies will have a vital role. And then uh, last night on Question Time on the BBC, uh, the uh, Minister for Vaccine Deployment, I think he's called Nadim Zahawi, absolutely insisting that uh, that community pharmacies would be involved. So I think that's kind of where we are. Uh, he was talking last night that 115 community pharmacies would be involved in a pilot programme week commencing uh, the 11th of January, which is next Monday. I don't think uh, unless colleagues on the on the pod know where those are. I don't think we know where they are, but hopefully they know where they are. Uh, so we're starting to see pharmacy get involved. And uh, that's probably long overdue, I think, um, because... Uh, this number that they've set themselves, you know, 13 million by the middle of February is enormous. And you think all hands to the pump, really. I, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about the, the challenges in, in, in getting pharmacy fully involved, Richard. Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. The, all lot of press coverage on this yesterday, wasn't it? I think the, the comms people of the national pharmacy organisations did, did a tremendous job. and um, But they needed to because you know, there have been... Um, quite a lot of disquiet within the sector about this. I mean, the government has chosen to run a, a, max, a mass vaccination hub operation, hasn't it, to vaccinate at scale. And, um, and that's fine. That's, that's necessary. And of course, the vast majority of community pharmacies probably aren't set up to do this. But, but why, you know, right at the beginning, in, in what is an emergency situation, you know, why isn't the government 
not immediately using the scale of con- and convenience of the community pharmacy network to supplement this approach. You know, the absolute priority is to get as many people vaccinated in the shortest possible time. Surely you use all the assets at your disposal. Um, but we'll discuss that later on in the pod. Arthur, you were covering all these stories yesterday. It was a really busy news day yesterday, which was uh, Wednesday. Um, what did you make of, of um, what you heard and, and the people you, you talked to? Yeah, certainly a very busy weekend and noteworthy that um, it made the front page of the Telegraph. Um, it's rare to see pharmacy make make the front page in, in national media. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of frustration. Uh, I mean, I've seen the argument made, and I take the point that um, uh, it's a very um, it, there's a real need to to target particular groups, and government has to maintain control over the supply, more control over the supply than is the case with flu, to make sure it reaches people. And so they need to be careful about relinquishing supplies to, to pharmacies and a flu style campaign wouldn't necessarily work. Um, I think that's fair. But I would also regard as like completely uncontroversial uh, Simon Jukes's point that um, that we could have planned for this. We could have planned better. Um, I can remember as far back as April and May, you, you, you know, we were saying or PSNC was saying, when there's a vaccine, we want pharmacies to, to play a big role. Uh, we feel we can play a big role. Um, and now, and whereas we're in this situation, he says, where NHS England is sort of deciding what to do once we have a vaccine approved, which is not maybe how you would like them to go about it. Um, I think there's a lot of frustration. Um, there's also a lot of sort of dust that needs to settle um, where until we can can figure out sort of what role, particularly the the smaller pharmacies can play, um, with perhaps the Oxford vaccine. I mean, we know that the likes of Boots and Superdrug and uh, probably Lloyd's have um, have volunteered uh, either their, their existing stores or they've they've hired new pharmacy sites or they've hired new sites uh, for vaccinations. But um, I think we need to see a lot more clarity on on the role the wider network. Can play because I think there is a lot of um, frustration and the rank and file that um, that their their uh, their offers to help have been sort of snubbed or, or ignored. Yeah, uh, Neil, you you would have covered this. Um, a lot of independents have expressed um, a great deal of frustration that they seem to be being gated out of of this national effort at the moment. Um, what have your readers uh, been telling you? Well, you, you look at the comments that have been made and there have been plenty of them and and it comes back to the same argument that we've been having for the last, well, almost 10 months. There just isn't the support there. The government is not supporting, you know, the smaller the pharmacies. There's an argument to say they're not supporting pharmacies, period. But it was interesting to read, uh, to, to hear Nadim Zahawi's comments yesterday on, on Good Morning Britain. Um, and uh, he, this is what he said. He said, we will roll out into mass vaccination centres like we've seen in Israel with the stadium and sports halls, which will come online and meet imminently. And of course, community pharmacies and the independent pharmacies, where we think there are gaps. Now, that was quite interesting because he mentioned, he specifically mentioned independent pharmacies there. The first time I've heard a minister actually mention the smaller, smaller pharmacies. You heard Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson mention pharmacies, but for the first time we heard about the smaller guys playing a role. And that was, that was encouraging. But, it, you know, that's all very well. But, you know, we want, they want to vaccinate 40 million people in the top four categories by the mid by mid February, and that's a huge undertaking. And for me, the key to that is getting 
and, and mobilizing the smaller guy, the, you know, the independent pharmacies who are there, who can reach the hard to reach sectors of our population, the homeless, the unemployed, uh, the mentally ill, the isolated, the elderly people, people who are really hard to tend to, hard, tend to have been hard to reach in our society. They're, that's the key. It's getting it's not getting the boots and the Lloyd's pharmacies um, rolling out the vaccine. It's the smaller pharmacies. Uh, they're right on the doorstep of those people. And I, and I just wonder, you know, you, you mentioned, Richard, at the start, we're embarking on the biggest vaccination program in, in, in history. And absolutely right. But, but it, we're doing that. And still the government is treating, you know, community pharmacy with utter contempt. And we've heard, um, you know, a lot of shallow platitudes once again from like Johnson and Hancock and, and, and to a lesser extent, uh, um, Nadim Zawi, but you know it, it needs to be. You need to have the support and to mobilise these guys and to give them the support and funding to do it, and then talk about getting them involved. It's just saying, well, pharmacists are going to do it. Where's the support? Yeah, um, Rob. It, a lot of this comes down to planning, doesn't it, or or, or lack of it? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I I think it does, Richard. I think that um, it's yet again. It's it's uh, for me that there's some work that needs to be done on getting pharmacy into a place where it's it's connected at not just the, the national level. And I, I hear what Neil's saying, and I, I completely agree with him. There's clearly some challenges there. But when you look at how this whole system has been developed initially, from, the, from the very beginning, the start point was um, the centre working through primary care networks and all of these initial uh, sites are being set up essentially through that network and there's a connectivity there of general practice uh, of all sizes back in through the system and I think one of the challenges that that pharmacy's got is because it's not connected effectively enough into those networks um, if you're trying to organize and think about a, a local population and how you're going to vaccinate them and how you're going to go through you know, these priority groups, the residents in care homes, the 80-year-olds and over. Uh, you know, I was talking to my lo- my ex-GP who lives over the road from me just before Christmas, and he said that, you know, in Basingstoke, when they got their 975, the pizza box with the 975 Pfizer vaccines in before Christmas, um. All of the general practices in the locality who would all have been connected through these mechanisms um, identified the 975 80-year-olds who they were going to vaccinate across the whole of the across the whole of the community. And when you're slightly outside these networks, it's always going to be harder. Um, we do know that there are pharmacies involved, and we know that there are pharmacies involved in in setting up some of these um, these bigger sites, um, but if you're if you're always slightly outside of the the key loops, then that's going to be difficult. And going forward, I think concentrating on um, getting pharmacy into um, those networks is really important. I mean, we keep going on about it, but I still think that um, from both sides, really, I don't think PCNs are particularly uh, engaged in or trying to engage with pharmacy and I don't think community pharmacies uh, have quite got the um, the right approach into PCNs and somehow we need to bring those things together for the longer term because these, these things are going to keep on happening if that's going to be the route where these new integrated care services are going to come from uh, and here where, where you're looking for you know if you're at the centre what kind of networks have we got and how can we get this message 
right through the system as fast as possible, and they're starting with PCNs. I mean, you would think, Rob, wouldn't you, that, that PCNs overseen by GPs right across the country, you think it'd, it'd be in their interest, particularly now with what's going on at the moment, this crisis, which is continuing to exacerbate, you'd think that would be in their interests, wouldn't you? It'd be their interests to, to make more of an effort to, to engage with the the community pharmacies. Yeah, but Neil, where do they start? That's the that's the challenging point, isn't it? Where do they start? Are, are, can they can they speak to community pharmacy? Um, I think there are on on occasions, and you will know this point because you make it often enough. Um, the 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 picture within community pharmacy is quite confusing because we've seen big companies off, offering their services separately to community pharmacy. You hear from the ministers they mix up community pharmacy, independence, small guys. I mean, independents are not all small guys. I mean, there's some independents running very, very big pharmacies that could can absolutely deliver. We've all we've all we've all focused on on some of those. And so I think that I think it's a challenge and I think it's something that we uh, that the sector needs to think through. How do we engage and how do we make sure that people who are engaged and it's not just the case of having a community pharmacy lead. What can the community pharmacist lead of a PCN actually offer to do on behalf of the community that they are, in inverted commas, representing? Uh, you know, we haven't thought that through. We don't quite know, you know, how those conversations can go. We don't know the limits of people's ability to, to offer to do things. And if you've got to vaccinate thousands and thousands of people, you want to know that when you get an answer from somebody to say, yes, we can do it, they can do it. And I think that's the problem. We're, we're operating, you know, at sometimes the right level with the wrong, uh, the wrong people who don't want to listen or we're operating at the, at the or we're not operating at the right level because we haven't quite worked that out because we're, you know, still focused heavily on a, on a national framework. Yeah. And just changing tack slightly, um, there's a kind of skill mix aspect to this as well, isn't it? And it's about using all the assets, you know, at our disposal within pharmacy. You know, Helena, you've been looking at the, the role of pharmacy technicians in all of this. Um, what, what's your take on the situation regarding support staff and vaccinations? Yeah, I think there's there's a great a great kind of missed opportunity almost um, in terms of. Um, pharmacy technicians in particular. Um, so the PGD for the Pfizer vaccine obviously came into effect um, in mid-December and that legislation wasn't updated to include pharmacy technicians in the group eligible to carry them out. And I think that's a great shame. And um, I know APT UK, the Association for Pharmacy Technicians UK, um, they were really championing that and trying to push it through, having talks with key policymakers and, and trying to make that happen. Um, I think I'm I'm a great advocate for pharmacy technicians to be involved in, in vaccines in general with flu vaccines and travel vaccines. Um, and I think as a group, um, there are a lot of them who are willing and very keen to do that, obviously with the right the right training and ensuring they have the the competency to do so. Um, but yeah, that obviously then didn't happen with that PGD. Um, but the national protocol is a really positive step um, in allowing pharmacy technicians to get involved. Um, I think time will tell about how 
it pans out for community pharmacy technicians in particular in terms of training and utilising their skill set, really making the most of what they can offer. Um, I think other um, pharmacy technicians, so hospitals and, and primary care technicians, they they might um, kind of fit into the, the proposed system a bit more easily. So it's kind of trying to work out how they can, can um, contribute. Um, but yeah, I think as we've discussed, the this whole vaccine rollout thing seems to be quite a, a last minute decision that the planning and the decision making has has not kind of um, been uh, as lengthy as it potentially should have been. So um, there's a question over whether the national protocol in allowing uh, pharmacy technicians to be involved has come a bit late in the day to make a really positive impact. Um, but I do think um there is a wider kind of um, opportunity for the whole of the pharmacy team. It's not just about pharmacy technicians. Obviously, the team can't be involved in, in the actual administration, but there's there's such um, an important opportunity for them to get involved. So I know earlier this week, uh, PSNC alluded to the fact that there have been lots of fake COVID-19 vaccine text messages circulating. Um, so the the way that people are invited to get a vaccination is a letter from their GP or the national booking system. But these uh, fake COVID text messages were were going around. Um, and so I think there's a really key role for pharmacies in dissemin- disse- disseminating uh, information, um, whether that's raising awareness of these fake text messages, um, allaying fears about the vaccine, offering reassurance, myth busting, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a real opportunity and it's about looking at the wider picture, how the whole team can get involved. Um, and then there's a role for for everybody to ensure that all staff are up to speed about each vaccine so that they can be providing um, the best information um, to their customers and patients. Yeah, re- really good points, Helena. I mean, it, it is, you know, it, it is a, a massive team effort across the health service and across community pharmacy, whether you're involved in in, in giving people vaccinations or not. And, and pharmacy support staff have a, a vital role to play in, in all of that. Um, I think I'd also like to to throw in a little bit of realism uh, in, into into this discussion. I'm slightly concerned that uh, sector leaders are slightly, uh, well, not slightly, definitely overplaying pharmacies' hand here. You know, um, you're hearing a lot of, well, if every pharmacy vaccinated 20 people a day, that would be more than 1.3 million a week, and, and you're nearly there. That That's unrealistic, because as Rob said, you, you need the right infrastructure in place, whether that's the right IT connectivity with, with CCGs or PCNs. It's really important that the NHS knows who's been vaccinated and when and who's due to be vaccinated next. There's a, there's a training aspect. Um, you need to have a decent aseptic technique, a good aseptic practice, because you're using multi-dose vials. It's not point and shoot like with flu. You need processes and staff in place to handle appointments, people turning up, observation, etc. Now, you know, to echo the points that, that you guys have made earlier on, n- none of this is impossible. It could all have been done with the necessary planning and financial support. I mean, it could be done in the summer, like 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 you mentioned, Arthur. We've had long enough to to prepare for all of this. 
So I'm just wondering why we weren't or aren't further along with the planning, because that type of of infrastructure now is very hard to put in place quickly. Not impossible, but but it's a big ask. And and not every pharmacy is going to be able to vaccinate 20 people a day. Um, Rob, you want to come in on that? Yeah, just very quickly, Richard. I'll just add another thing to your your challenge. I don't think it's helped. Uh, And obviously we'll wait for the inevitable inquiry at the end of all this to, to work out whether things were done properly or not. But I don't think it helps that vast elements of the of the national response have been fragmented up and handed out to various bits of the non um, the non public estate, if you like. So when you've got the private sector dealing with test and trace, how successful has that been? Not very, uh, certainly compared with public health teams that have, that have shown been shown as everybody as I think public health teams expected to be much, much better at this sort of thing. You've got um, the fragmentation of uh, hub d- delivery. And I don't think that, you know, the, the opportunity for the public sector to learn how to deal with these things better and to do some proper planning has been lost when you've got all of these contracts and all of these separate providers who don't share anything. That You know, all these things are covered in commercial and confidence agreements. I don't see how you can have proper planning when you don't really know who exactly is going to be involved. And a huge opportunity has been missed there. Uh, and I think that's why when suddenly we get the spike, people are running around like headless chickens trying to get this. You know, I, I saw one story. Uh, I misread the headline to start with, and it wasn't as bad as I first thought. COVID kills half of Sussex care homes residents over Christmas. I read that initially as being half of Sussex Whoa. care home residents over Christmas, but it's one care home in, um, in uh, Crowhurst, but 13 of 27 residents died over Christmas. Oh, I see. Gosh, that's terrible. You know, so you can you can see the sort of panic and why suddenly we've got we've got to where we've got to. But I think there's been an opportunity missed in in everybody learning as they go along and being able to plan and, and make those connections that they inevitably would need at the point where we got a vaccine and needed to do a mass program, which, you know, as, as somebody just said, we've, we've been talking about this since, you know, March, April, May last year as being the way out of this. Yeah, um, pharmacy also doesn't help itself. I'm picking up on an earlier point. I think you made, Rob, it's, it's already it's quite a fragmented effort, isn't it? You've got the big guys getting involved, Boots getting involved in, in um, large-scale hub operations up in up north, I think, isn't it? Halifax, Huddersfield, and, and I think uh, Glosser, is it? I'm not sure. You've got Morrison's and... Pharmacy to you, that's an interesting partnership. Pharmacy to you, <laughs> patient facing. Um, that's that's interesting. So um, you know, there's we're not really presenting a um, a united front or a concerted integrated offer either, are we? And I think that doesn't necessarily help in in rolling out a, a kind of national program involving as many community pharmacies. You know, as possible. And um, what do you make of some of that activity by the big guys, Arthur? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. But I suppose um, they used the um, they just used the channel that was available to them. Like NHS England said, we're going to approve X number of designated sites. Yeah, true. Supplies. And um, and these big guys will have done that, and they will be more likely than than your average um, independent high street pharmacy to have the the bandwidth to 
to meet that those particular criteria. Um, I don't know if that's as relevant to the conversation about why aren't why why aren't why isn't the, the wider pharmacy network involved? Yeah. Um, no. Another point that we've covered is that all the press coverage that that we've had in support of a, an expanding role for pharmacy. I, I think we can safely say pharmacy's profile in the in the national press has never been higher. So I suppose the question is, how do we capitalize on this going forward? Um, Neil, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think we're in a bit of a, at the moment, we're, we're caught between a rock and a hard place because, yes, the publicity has been fantastic. And it's great to see Simon Jukes on BBC. It's great to see Telegraph on the front page, uh, you, know, you know, blowing the trumpet. And, and, and giving everybody a full awareness of what's going on. That's, that's great. It can't hurt. But I think at the moment we're, we're caught in a situation where it's, it's a recurring theme where, you know, right at the start of this pandemic, you know, the government did not at any stage, uh, you know, plan to involve pharmacy in testing. And I know there's the argument that, well, yeah, that's all very well, but, you know, testing, it's such a, it's not a straightforward area. You know, you need a lot of resources, you need a lot of infrastructure there to, to do all this stuff. You know, it's not easy just to roll it out and just say you're going to do it. You need, but nevertheless, you know, with a bit of foresight and a bit of and a bit of willing, the government could have involved pharmacy, you know, a, a testing at a very early stage. And I said, and we said that before. This is this is this has repeated itself right through to the current situation we find ourselves in now with vaccinations. The government has not actually planned to involve pharmacy. Um, and I, 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 I'm not one for conspiracy theories, as you know, Richard, but, you know, I just wonder, I just wonder whether or not, bearing in mind what's going on at the moment with pharmacy and the PSNC, uh, with the government and the PSNC, and the fact there are on, ongoing negotiations, as we know, and they're trying to get rid of the £370 million pounds, uh, advance payments, and they're trying to get the, trying to recover the COVID costs. Um, and as we know all too well, that pharmacies had its funding cut. We go back to the 2015 Ridge letter and the High Court challenge that followed, and all this stuff that's that's in fairly recent history. You know, if the government is now suddenly forced to sort of admit we desperately need pharmacy, there aren't too many pharmacies after all. Um, it kind of undermines their complete position on the cuts, almost, doesn't it? You could almost go back to that. So I, I think that we're in a really, I think we're in a situation where. I, I, the government almost doesn't want to admit that it desperately needs community pharmacies and as many of them as possible. Um, and that's, I think, the situation we're in. Well, look, I don't, I'm not saying that's a conspiracy theory, Neil. I think a lot, there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, the uh, NHSE has shown, by and large, you know, a, a great lack of a positive attitude to, towards pharmacy. And that's, at the moment, anyway, um, seems to be... Uh, still the case, still the case, but we shall see what you know what developments um, come out over can, the. Can next I just week, mention week. something else? I'm just yeah. touching on what, what Helena mentioned earlier as well about the yeah. pharmacy te technicians and, it, and a really good point uh, that she made. But you know, I, it comes back to the eligibility. Who who is who can roll out these vaccines? Who can administer them? And I've, I've seen a lot of um, sort of views expressed on the bureaucracy around you know who can actually administer these vaccinations, the process you have to go through to be able to, you know, administer a jab. And and you, you, you look at some of this stuff. I mean, you've got to undertake uh, training on preventing terrorism. You've got to, you've got to, uh, you've got to complete 18 training modules, some of preventing radicalization, fire safety. Uh, some of this, I mean, some of this stuff is 
surely unnecessary. Of course, we want people to be trained properly to administer the vaccines. Absolutely. But some of this, some of this red tape bureaucracy is, is surely holding things back as well. Yeah, and no, maybe it, that's you know, linked to, to, to sort of pharmacy technicians. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly holding people back, like retired doctors, to have to, to do, yeah. what, 20 pieces of evidence or submit 20 pieces of evidence to, to able to jab completely ridiculous. Um, you, you just need an hour's top-up training and, and, and away you go. You know, this is a national emergency, for goodness sake. Um, time is of the essence. Uh, Arthur, you want to come in there? Yeah, this is a quick point. I know we don't have time to, to really go into this, but I do wonder whether one of the reasons uh, government's been hesitant about involving uh, pharmacy to the extent that we think it should have is maybe it feels it can get it cheaper, maybe it feels pharmacy's too expensive, and um, if it goes down a less sort of uh, costly route, perhaps it's it's prepared to compromise on other factors. Yeah, no, that that's that's a good point, Arthur, and I think a good good way to, to round up this discussion really I suppose summarizing I think we're, we're all in agreement um, you know pharmacy can support and is able and willing to, su- to support the national effort everything's there the, the logistical uh, networks clinical networks are in place the expertise is there pharmacy very successfully performs um, millions of flu vaccinations you've got the ex- ex- accessibility um, point that I think uh, Neil and Rob raised um, thousands of potential local vaccination sites there that don't involve you know traveling 10 miles or so to get to your nearest hub a um, lot of a lot of support out there for pharmacy to join the national effort it remains to be seen what type of form uh, pharmacy's contribution will take but you need as many assets as you can throw at this. It's a national emergency, like I said. Um, pharmacy has to be involved. They just need to be enabled. Let's watch this space. Okay, then. So to, to finish up, um, any New Year's resolutions or wishes, everybody, either personal or, or pharmacy related? I'll, I'll go first. Um, my resolution this year is to be a little less grumpy. Um, It's not working so far. Uh, I do have a pharmacy suggestion, actually. Um, Yeah, we need more funding. We can do the jobs, yabba yabba, get rid of NHSE, yes, yes, et cetera, et cetera. But my quite simple suggestion would be to turbocharge the Community Pharmacist Consultation Service. I'd say cut out NHS 111, let pharmacists self-refer patients into the service, like in Scotland, a building a prescribing element, job done. That would make a huge difference. And that's my New Year's wish for pharmacy. Um, Helena, do you have any resolutions, Maiden? Um, personally, I am going to attempt to um, be slightly more active and read more books. Um, that is my, um, my plan, whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. Um, for pharmacy, I think um the the pandemic if it's if it's taught us anything it's um that mental health is um as important as physical health and i think um we've come a long way in terms of like social prescribing and that kind of thing over the years but i i hope that there is um more of a focus on that in the future to really um yeah boost people's mental health and um allow them to 
um, yeah, really focus on themselves. So, yeah, really good, Helen. It's such an important issue for all of us and for, for the sector at the moment. Um, Arthur, any New Year's wishes? Um, well, my immediate concern is to just stay sane until March or April or whenever we're likely <laughs> to be out of lockdown. Um, also, want to spend um, a lot less time on my phone, less screen time. I think my screen time. I don't even want to know how many hours. Go on, Arthur. Tell us how many. Oh no, I don't. I, I don't. I don't track it. But like, I don't want to know. But um, yeah. Oh God, you've ambushed me with the resolution for pharmacy. Um, God. Um, I would hope to see it. Uh, just let less of this um back of the queue mindset from from NHS England, um that you know leads to you know debacles like we're talking about today. Yeah, well, well said, Arthur. Uh, Neil, what about you? I'd like to see um, for New Year's resolution for pharmacy wholesalers, uh, you know, playing the game a bit more alongside community pharmacists, making it a bit easier for them to get drugs in. Uh, I'm talking about quotas and surcharges and all these things we've heard of over the last few weeks and months. I think I'd like to hope, I hope that wholesalers can make that process easier for pharmacies, particularly now. Um, and on a personal level, I, I, my, new, my New Year's resolution is not to get too carried away with my football team because at the moment we're flattering to deceive. So I'm, I've learned that it's a, it's a marathon, not a, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a slump, two points out of that possible nine. <laughs> yeah. Neil, sorry to remind you about that. Um, and to, uh, to finish up, Rob, what about you? Uh, yeah, hashtag real football fans. You jo- jo- join the rest of us, Neil, where you just don't expect to win every week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say on the football front, it would be nice for Wolves to uh, to win and score a penalty, but we have actually done that already this year, so I, I can't even have that one now. Um, I don't know about Helen has read more books. I would like my New Year's resolution is to read a book in twenty twenty one. It doesn't really matter which one, but a book would be good. And like Arthur, I'm going to um, really genuinely commit to less screen time in the in the social media echo chamber um getting annoyed a bit like you richard so i'm, I'm not going to uh, i'm going to spend less time doing that and uh, just on the pharmacy one i i wouldn't i wouldn't get rid of the nhs 111 uh, linked to the cpcs because i think that's important for the longer term in in you know trying to achieve this ultimate goal which is to get people to see community pharmacies more naturally as the first place to go and i think the more people get referred when they go to the if you like the wrong place then the better that would be so I, w- I would leave that one in but I, I think your point is well made I think that's a really important service that needs to be built on and um, have the value of it maximized thanks for that Rob yeah I'll, I'll allow you that one maybe we'll, we'll keep a little rule for NHS 111 in that and uh, I agree with all of those first of all I think I've lost the ability to read a book I fall asleep after a page and, and screen time and I got sucked into all that, you know, the the, the trouble in 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 Washington last night, and uh, it's not a lot of joy in the world at the moment. But anyway, um, lots of positive things to look forward to. Hopefully, this year uh, for pharmacy as well, and and that brings us to uh, the end of this week's pod. So my thanks to to Rob, to Neil, Arthur, and Helena. Pod is available on uh, the PM website and from all your usual download sites. But for now, we'll be back again next week. Thanks very much for listening.